Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my little dog, Ruby, who just snored into the microphone, and my good friend and co-host, Christian J. Ubius. It's a middle initial kind of day, Christian. How are you feeling? How are you, my friend? You have some personal news that I'm trying to get you to share here live on the air. I have finally received my second dose of the vaccine. So I'm feeling uh, double vaccinated, and uh, I am just ready to go and uh, frolic in the mud. <laughs> Is that what vaccinated people do? I wouldn't know, so I just need to I need to get some insight for one day when I get vaccinated. Actually, no, vaccinated people have a secret movie club. Dang it. I can't be a part of the secret movie club. Maybe one day, Christian. Maybe one day. I hope you don't probably have too much not, fun though. without me. Yeah, probably. Oh, we 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 are. Uh, <laughs> keep going, bud. <laughs> it is an exciting day here on the Cinema Drip Podcast because we get to carry on with our unreliable narrator's month into a movie that both Christian and myself love, and we got to both rewatch for this week, and that movie is Memento. <laughs> Christopher Nolan's sophomore feature from the year 2000. So, Christian, I mentioned that we both have seen it before. What is your personal background with this movie? Is it something you had popped on with friends one night and you fell for it, or had you seen it in some other context? It it's it's interesting with Memento. I had seen it with my roommates for the first time several months ago, as I was making my way through the Christopher Nolan filmography to get ready before I watched Tenet. It's um always fun when I get to say that I watched the movie with other people instead of by my lonesome but this it, it's very recent this rewatch is very recent from my previous endeavor watching Memento well then I'm curious to get your thoughts having been able to see it twice in the same year now I'm sure you'll have some interesting things to share there for me I actually saw this movie as a part of a class that I took in college. I had a second major in film studies at the great Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and we watched this as... Wait, Scott, you studied film? Uh, yes, I did. What? I did. How did I not know this? Maybe you should make it more apparent in um, the way you speak on movies. I'm not sure what you're getting at, my friend. I'm just a, a regular average Joe who has a, a second major, not even a full-blown degree in <laughs> film studies. But got to watch it for a class, and it stood in, for that professor, it stood in as an example of the indie revolution coming to Hollywood. And so it was fun to talk about Memento in the context of film history, basically. And now I'm returning to it as just a, a regular old bumpkin watching movies and loving Christopher Nolan, who, in my eyes, can essentially do no wrong. I am, I am with the film bro crowd in terms of Christopher Nolan opinions. So I'm excited to get a chance to chat about Memento here on the show. So in terms of Christopher Nolan's career, you've seen all his movies in preparation for Tenet. I have seen all of his movies. I actually finished this year because I hadn't seen Insomnia before. So that was me. Isn't Insomnia else. just not the best? It is not his best. And yet it is still a movie that I like more than a lot of others. So I don't have too many complaints uh al pacino and robin williams i'll, I'll take them acting in a movie over most <laughs> so christopher nolan at this time or let me let me take a step back christopher nolan in the year 2021 is one of the most important 
most influential, probably most famous Hollywood directors that we have. He's one of the few people who gets essentially creative license from studios to make gigantic movies that aren't based on superheroes, although he, of course, has made the Batman movies. He still gets to make original concepts with massive budgets, really big stars, and they tend to be smash hits. Tenet obviously was affected by COVID-19, but it was the movie trying to reopen theaters because he was so committed to that experience. He has directed two movies that were nominated for Best Picture and a third that changed the entire category because so many people were mad that it wasn't nominated for Best Picture, that being The Dark Knight. And yet, many of the things that we're talking about now are starting here in Memento. His second movie and the first that he made here in Los Angeles as part of the Hollywood system. So... I'm excited to talk about this movie because it's one of the last times we have Christopher Nolan working with a small budget, working with constraints in a way. Do you have any thoughts on Nolan and his career in general before we get to talking about Memento in particular? So this is always the part where we're going to... This is our background info section right now. And looking at Christopher Nolan himself and the idea of Memento... It's interesting. With the genre itself, unreliable narrators generally mean that an individual, him or herself, is leading the audience on or leading an individual within the plot of the movie on, on purpose. In Memento, based on the very, very basic plot outline, an individual cannot contain short-term memory cannot form new memories and is thus forced to tattoo facts on his body to remember them that is not what we're seeing we're seeing unintentional unreliability how much can we trust from this individual and how much is this individual a victim of his own unreliability as much as we are that to me is almost peak Nolan in in a sense into what he likes to do he likes to fool his audiences or maybe not fool but kind of dazzle his audiences with non-linearity but also at the expense of his characters take this film take insomnia even with the inability of Al Pacino's character to go to bed Take everything from the prestigious interweaving narratives to Interstellar's two different timelines passing across a galaxy. It's his characters who are kind of suffering at times. They are the victims of his own screenwriting abilities. We just saw last week The Usual Suspects was 35 on the Writers Guild of America's top 100 screenplays. Uh, Memento also came in and it came in at number 100. To be anywhere on this list is... Uh, on that list was was an honor and there are some screenwriting chops coming out here now i never really think christopher nolan and think master screenwriter but i do think master plot driver i think that's fair to say he's criticized quite a bit for some of his cold or emotionless characters leaning on some similar crutches and not always writing female characters very well. 
But I think Memento... There's an exception in this movie. There is. And I think Memento is a coming together of Christopher Nolan as a writer and Christopher Nolan, in your words, as a as a driver of plot. It gets him an Oscar nomination, and I think it's well-deserved. I think that spot on that WGA list is well-deserved because Memento is a fascinatingly written movie, and the fact that it not only is successful, but also made a... I, I think just a, a great movie from the last 20 years, 21, I guess, is definitely worthy of praise, and I'm looking forward to unpacking it more. So in terms of a little bit more of the details here, with Memento, if you're coming to it for the first time, or if you're listening to our podcast without having heard it, which, good on you if you're doing that. Uh, again, Memento was his second feature. His original was Following, which he made on a shoestring budget, shot with his friends on the weekends when they were off from their day jobs, and he submitted it to film festivals, and it got him enough traction and a little bit of acclaim that he was considered for greater financing, and he and his brother were able to make Memento. This is based on a short story written by his brother called Memento Mori, shortened for the movie. He gets to go from a nothing budget to $4.5 million as a budget, and it's amazing just to see the leap that he got to do, not just in terms of the money, but also the actors. You know, we have Guy Pierce starring as Leonard Shelby, the man who cannot make new memories, and Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantoliano in the two major supporting roles. So three big actors. Guy Pierce is ascending at this time. Carrie Ann Moss is kind of at the peak of her career because she's in the Matrix movies right now. And Joe Pantoliano is a beloved Hollywood figure. He had been around. He's still around. He's great. But working with big actors, getting a larger budget, and of course, it's a it's a smash hit. So a couple other players, I'm sure we'll talk about them, but cinematography done by a longtime collaborator for Nolan, Wally Pfister. Another edited by Dodie Dorn, another Nolan choice, not someone who would stick with him through the rest of his career, but a very important player here in Memento. And the last couple details we'll share before getting on with it is that Memento on its small budget, made $40 million at the box office, which obviously, when you're making movies, you're not always just looking at the box office, but you're looking at the return. So that's almost 10 times the budget. So good job, Christopher Nolan. Here's a bigger budget for your next movie, which ultimately was Insomnia. And it ended up with two Oscar nominations. We mentioned the writing as well as the film editing for Dirty Dorn. Any other details that you want to make sure we hit, Christian, before we move on? I think it's important to see where this falls in the category of Nolan again second feature we've come from following after this he gets the ability to use a bigger budget for Memento his first three films then lead him on to be trusted with Batman Begins from there he does not immediately go into a Batman sequel but goes into the prestige working once more with Christian Bale from there, able to transcend it into The Dark Knight, which revolutionized film criticism. And it was like one of the few times in mass swarms you have film critics and you have audience members agreeing it is one of the best things that has come out that year. Past that, you have Inception, where he proves that he can work outside of just the superhero genre to create something massive that comes back with hundreds and hundreds of million dollars at the box office. He ends the Dark Knight trilogy with the Dark Knight Rises, the Dark Knight Rises, which some people love, some people very much do not. But it's still like a culmination of that, 
we go into Interstellar. We go into Dunkirk, where he proves himself to be an Academy darling. Nominated for Best Director and nominated for Best Picture for that. And finally to Tenet, which came out during a pandemic. To not the greatest returns, not necessarily the greatest reviews, but still something that's known. Every single one of his movies, except for Following, I will say, and except for Insomnia, are movies that are events that people know and can they can list these off at the top of their heads. Second, I think only to Tarantino in my mind. He is the he is the movie bro. Like, yeah, movie bros love him. Guys love him. Guys who love movies but think that sometimes movies should be slightly more high art, quote unquote, and that's a BS term, but I'm gonna use it anyway because I think y'all will know what I'm saying if I don't elaborate on it hot take that, on art criticism real quick that's what christopher nolan does and to have such a massive following this isn't even speaking on my own thoughts on nolan but to have such a massive following is interesting and it is it, it is interesting to see on how memento kicked it all off this really is a perfect movie for that concept that you're talking about that nolan is now in this class of director where really bro-y just getting into movies this sort of archetype of person kind of guy loves christopher nolan for his mind-blowing movies and big action set pieces but critics have also come behind nolan and obviously mileage may vary from person to person from taste to taste but in general his movies are well received and both critically and box office and on r slash movies you know and this is a perfect point between those two things where it gets academy acclaim it puts him on the map it is his breakout movie and it's still beloved by folks like us by by average joes who <laughs> our day job is not criticism we love movies and we argue and i'm a little more defensive of critics than you are from time to time but you know we are just average people and, and we love nolan for a variety of reasons and and we sort of fit the bill for the the kind of person who's in the middle of these two groups that he makes movies for and i am excited to talk about it and dive into the weeds with you today christian so let's move on to some fun facts fun facts oh i love fun facts getting to share these fun facts really brings me joy every episode i hope that those of you listening at home uh please if you if you want share some fun facts you know we would love to share some fun facts that you find that weren't mentioned on the show i just really I get a thrill from sharing fun facts on the show. So the first one, it's not that much of a fun fact, but uh, the medical condition that Leonard experiences in this movie, we mentioned he cannot form new memories that drives the plot of the film. It is a real condition called anterograde amnesia. So typically when somebody is diagnosed with amnesia, they forget their past, they forget who they are, but they can proceed and relearn things, make new memories still. But anterograde amnesia obviously is the ability to remember your past, but the inability to form new memories. And unfortunately, it wasn't something that we knew too much about uh, until the middle of the 20th century, but now those who are diagnosed with it can hopefully receive proper treatment. Uh, I mean, before I go into my fun fact, the scientific community loves this movie. They will show clips of this movie. It's incredible. <laughs> kind of incredible. Uh, but anyway, uh, Christopher Nolan didn't originally want Guy Pierce to be in the film. 
he wanted someone slightly bigger and considered Brad Pitt, Charlie Sheen, as well as others for the part. And we always kind of say, you know, if it's a bigger star, would this have been as great of a movie? I think Guy Pearce does an incredible job. The version of this film that has Brad Pitt in it, though, I wouldn't be upset at watching. <laughs> I know. I love Brad Pitt. I love, I love him a lot. He's one of my favorite movie stars. And imagining him in this movie definitely gives it a different flavor. I really like the Guy Pearce performance, but that is that is an interesting concept in another world, maybe. Something else that I thought was interesting was that Stephen Tobolowsky, who... You'll definitely recognize him as kind of a that guy if you've been around movies for a while. He's in Groundhog Day as Ned, who Bill Murray first hates and then comes to love. He is in Glee. That's how I first became aware of Stephen Tobolowsky. He's in a lot of different movies and TV shows. He plays the part of Sammy Jenkins, who appears in flashbacks in Memento. And part of the reason that he got the role is he shared with Christopher Nolan that he had experienced amnesia personally. And a few years earlier, he had been given an experimental drug that actually induced amnesia. And I think he recovered and he recovered those memories, or maybe he's still, that period of his life is lost to time or something. But he had actually experienced amnesia, which led Christopher Nolan to share or to offer him the part because he could bring slightly more authenticity uh, to the role than somebody, just some other actor could. Another thing is that. It, this movie was filmed in a short period of time. It was filmed in 25 days. Carrie Ann Moss's performances were shot in eight days. Talking about efficiency, Nolan knew how to use his budget. 25 days is very impressive. And now, of course, he's making these gigantic movies that take months to shoot, let alone edit and go through post-production and promote. So good on him. The last thing that I'll share here is, of course, I got to show some love to The Matrix, a movie that I hold very dear that you do not hold as dear. But the one of the producers for this movie was very impressed by Carrie Ann Moss in The Matrix, and that is what helped her to get the role. And Chris Nolan went on to praise her, saying that she added a lot to the role that he didn't envision when he was originally writing the character. And Carrie Ann Moss personally recommended Joe Pantoliano who ends up in this movie as well. They had both worked on The Matrix. And again, Christopher Nolan wasn't sure if he would be the right part, but later, or he would be right for the part, and later went on the record praising him, saying he did a fantastic job. So thanks to The Matrix, in a way, we have the casting of Memento. I think Memento obviously still gets made if we don't have The Matrix, but these particular actors may not have come together if it weren't for The Matrix. And the last thing that I will say (laughs) is that the, the idea for this film came from several different places. One, it came from pizza delivery because Nolan wanted to make a nonlinear film so that it, he, he thought that with movies being moved to TV, people were leaving during commercials or sacrificing too much during commercials. He wanted to make one where you wouldn't do that. If a delivery came, you wouldn't leave to try and get it. If you miss it, you miss too much of the movie. I love that. Uh, Christopher Nolan, always thinking of the movie-going experience. And yet. (laughs) Now, of course, we just watch everything sitting on our butts with Netflix. (laughs) Well, fun facts 
have been shared, background has been set up, but of course, now, Christian, it's time to dive into our actual review of Memento. I think we've already talked about how this is a movie that we both really like and we're both glad to return to, and so I'm excited to dive into the details here with you. But we like our opening questions here on the Cinema Drip podcast, and so here is yours. This is Unreliable Narrators Month, Christian, and as you talked about earlier, what Nolan brings to this is a, a fascinating way of playing with that concept. In The Usual Suspects, we had Verbal Kint as Kaiser Soze, who was intentionally deluding people to conceal his identity, and spoiler if you for some reason have not yet watched Memento, but in this movie... We have a person afflicted with enterograde amnesia who intentionally deludes himself, who intentionally becomes unreliable as they narrate their own story. So, Christian, I want to ask, in light of the month that we're doing here, what is your, what are your thoughts just on the way that Nolan deals with this unreliable narrator? It's a fascinating spin, in my opinion, but I want to know yours. It's, it is fascinating. And when you look at it, when you remove yourself from it and you take away the fact that it's cool because yes, it's really cool. It's incredibly sad. You have someone drawn into an instinctive desire to avenge his wife's death. To get to that point, he deludes himself. He afflicts himself so that he can get through it and not feel pain anymore. He can't avenge his wife's death. He's realized that. But now, instead of dealing with it, he's like, I can't remember anything anyway. I might as well keep on hunting, I guess, until the day he dies. When you think about it, Guy Pierce is, it's almost like the tale of Sisyphus. He's forced to continue hunting and hunting and hunting with no reprieve, no satisfaction ever. Sisyphus is a... An apt analogy, and one that I hadn't thought of myself. That's that Northwestern degree coming in clutch right there. And and yet it's a, a prison of his own design. Uh, we have another huge plot twist, naturally, with Unreliable Narrators Month. We're going to have plot twists. And I, I like that because we see the ways that he, in a way, is trying to give himself something to live for, but is, of course, torturing himself and sacrificing his own humanity. The, the fact that his wife had already been avenged, we find out at the end of the movie, that he and, and Teddy, a.k.a. Uh, John Gamble, that they had found the, his wife's killer and already offed the guy, and yet he kept going with a new hunt because he just needed something to live for. And of course, then we know from <laughs> the beginning of the movie that Teddy becomes his next target, and presumably there will be more in perpetuity. It is, from a humanity standpoint... Such a hard movie to watch <laughs> because naturally somebody with a dead wife, they're on this quest of revenge. You come to care for them and you hope the best for them. And yet you find, we find out that he's in this Sisyphean prison of his own design. So kind of going off of that though, who, and, and this is very much a Christian question. Who do you care about in this film? Who draws you into it? Where are your stakes? Uh, I think it's safe to say we're, we're drawn in at first by the mystery of it all and by the structure of this movie. So I know you asked who I care for and who drew me in. So who drew me in is probably Christopher Nolan. <laughs> this movie 
has a fascinating structure in that half of it plays forward in time and it's shot in black and white to distinguish it from the color sequences, which are shot in reverse time. And we see the end of the movie first as Leonard kills someone. And then we cut to him sitting in a motel room in the process of getting another tattoo. And these two timelines move towards one another and eventually collide. And that structure is what fascinated me and what drew me into the story. I think you come to care for Leonard on a human level because Guy Pierce gives a great performance, in my opinion, and we can get more into that. And I tend to feel for people trying to avenge their dead wives. That's a lot of Hollywood movies. It's not an original storyline. But the structure and the, the Nolan of it all is what draws me in. And this is a, a dark movie. It's, it's certainly not pitch black, but a, a dark movie. Not necessarily good people that we're following along with here in the same way as the usual suspects. So I think it's not so much that I deeply cared for Leonard, but it's that I was fascinated by the structure and the filmmaking and in a way pitied Leonard, his 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 loss, and eventually we come to realize that he's, of course, not worthy of our pity. I don't know if he's not worthy of our pity, though, because pity is the exact word I would bring up. He is a victim of himself. He's a victim of his own condition. He is a victim of memories that have been suppressed. He's a victim of others who take advantage of his condition. He even takes advantage of his own condition. Now, again, we've already said spoilers. For those of you who have not seen this movie, currently you will be lost in the conversation we are having. <laughs> we just be jumped right to the ending. We have jumped into the ending. The structure is all over the place. You have to go watch this movie before listening to the rest of what our conversation is going to be about. But I'm going to say, this movie is all about victims. And this movie is all about those who take advantage of others. And normally, normally, I am not always the most invested in cold individuals. But I did grow to care for Leonard to an extent. Because he knew what he was doing and didn't. And ultimately, the entire Sisyphusian analogy that we can draw is that he is looking for a purpose, but every time he finds it, it goes away. It is, and, and to have purpose, to have life purpose be the thing that you are searching for because medically you're not able to do so. That is sad. That is so incredibly sad. And that is kind of the beauty of this film to me. It's a it's a perverse beauty in a way. Uh, but it is a beauty. Just the way that it is all constructed and the way that it's all put together and the way that it comes together in the end makes you care for this person before realizing who and, and what he's become. In terms of the structure, and I know we brought up the writing, it, it did garner him an Oscar nomination and placement on the WGA's 100 Best Screenplays of the last 100 years, or, or I forget the subtitle to that list. It's neither here nor there. You're our, our resident writer. You're our resident screenwriter. And Memento, I, I'm just curious your thoughts on the writing in, in terms of how you would 
even classify it, what kind of example you would use it for, because it seems to be, and I would argue that it is an expertly written screenplay, but it's not necessarily something that I would say, here's an example screenplay to, <laughs> to read and try to be inspired by, because it's so unique in its puzzle box trickery and its twisty narratives and its playing with chronology I think it'd be just more fun to to read and piece together, but not necessarily something to be inspired by. So maybe I'm wrong there, Christian, but what do you think? I, uh, okay. Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's difficult. And you kind of hammered it on the head. This is kind of a genre. This is a boot camp on genre, on story structure. Story structure is a better way to say it. How can we immerse people and get them so invested in the puzzle of what the movie is even about? We are flashing between four and five different timelines. That's not true. We're flashing only between two. But we get the occasional flashbacks and we're trying to parcel out how they fit together. That's what's going on here. It is kind of a blueprint into how we can see other Nolan movies. But more than that, Nolan is good at having the structure of his films imitate the trauma inside his characters. The prestige is driven by the ambition of Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Trilogy are kind of driven by Christian Bale's onus of his own responsibility and how that parcels itself out. That's what structure there is for. Inception, driven by the um, subconscious of Cobb. <laughs> like, that's crazy. He makes it so that structure gets tied to an individual's mental state. And that's how most of his films play out. And in the same way that The Usual Suspects... Actually, I, I argue that this did it better than The Usual Suspects. The Usual Suspects is trying to hinge its structure on Kevin Spacey's individual character, his wants, his desires, his loss. I I think that because of the falsity of a lot of it, it didn't hit the mark completely. But Memento, you get the... I'm drawn into this to see how messed up in the head this guy is. I think I'll still disagree with you on the usual suspects. <laughs> it sounds like I like that screenplay more than you. But... Yeah, the, the genre piece is apt. Obviously, a lot of times when people are talking about genre films, they might mean something like science fiction or horror or fantasy. And this is still an exercise in genre, just more of a, a mystery thriller. I Some even consider this a, a neo-noir, and I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that classification, but it is an exercise in genre and a fascinating one at that too. The black and white does... It would be evidence of that. I don't know if I personally say it's neo-noir, but I can... I, I I, like that analysis. It's a narration. Most of this movie is narrated by Guy Pierce's Lenny. True. And it's, True. It, it's an explanation of what it is in his past that he was able to go into and investigate that is serving as our backdrop for the rest of the film. That's fair. And thinking back to the original film noir movement, whatever you want to call film noir, 
many of those movies featured a person who was confident in themselves, a, a man almost all the time, a man who was overly confident because he's a detective or a hard-nosed criminal or whatever, who gets in over his head and ultimately ends up in a worse place than he started. And Memento is about a man who, despite his limitations, is very confident in himself and in his system, and of course is ultimately self-deluded <laughs> and often used by others for their dirty work and gets way in over his head. And obviously, I don't think Leonard has much of a future now with multiple murders to his name by the end of this movie. So maybe the noir classification isn't so off base. Can we just read who else was nominated for the Academy Award at the same time, though? It was Gosford Park, Amelie, uh, Memento, Monsters Ball, and The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, these movies are not at all like each other. No, they are not. I, I don't know if you've seen Amelie. For me to pit this against Amelie, they're... <laughs> One's a very joyful, cheery French flick. Royal Tenenbaums, Wes Andersonian, quirky weirdness, memento. Screenplays are just weird. <laughs> Writing yeah, is that's just a... weird. That's that is a, a fun mix of genres because even Gosford Park is, I I saw it once a long time ago. I don't remember much, but it's very uh, <laughs> Scotland's period piece stuff. The the upstairs and the downstairs of a stately British manor dealing with a murder mystery situation. I, again, just something completely different from Memento, completely different from the Royal Tenenbaums and Monsters Ball. I mean, I haven't seen, but. Got Halle Berry here, Oscar. <laughs> you know, all but, just, but just very different movies. That that's that's the thing though. When okay, I will reveal stuff about my views on Christopher Nolan. I think that Christopher Nolan is truly pioneered a way for original filmmakers to come forth and say, I have an idea that is not based on pre-existing intellectual property or pre-existing IP. And it can be profitable and people will watch it. And not only will they watch it, but they will sit and they will lean forward and they will tell their friends about it. When we look at this, Monsters Ball, we remember because of Halle Berry winning her Oscar. Amelie, we do remember more of it, the cinematography, the production design. Gosford Park, I have not seen. Royal Tenenbaums, I think, is the only other thing where I remember kind of like the quirkiness nature of the characters, honestly, the ensemble more than anything else. When I look at Christopher Nolan's filmography, they are stories. They are plots that he wants to present. He will say, wouldn't it be cool if I presented a story of a dad in the other side of the galaxy trying to find a way for life to survive so he could get back home to his daughter. Wouldn't it be cool if we were able to steal thoughts out of each other's subconsciouses? In terms of how he ends up in it, he's not my favorite. He is not my favorite in terms of delivery. But, I mean, Memento is a movie where you remember the story. Inception is a movie in which you remember the story. It's cool. And I don't think enough filmmakers are cool anymore. I mean, 
a moment ago you described Nolan as a pioneer, and I would actually disagree. I wouldn't call him a, a pioneer necessarily, but sort of just the, the last the last man standing in terms of people getting to bring original ideas to movie theaters and with big budgets. Because so much blockbuster filmmaking is making movies that are part of cinematic universes or, or franchises, and, and he's kind of but, this last man standing. I mean, but Dunkirk made over four hundred million dollars. Exactly. I mean, that's and and even like my love Tarantino, I can't bring in though he will bring in consistently over like a hundred and fifty million. But Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises both made over a billion, and that's difficult to compare. Those are pre-existing aspects, but when you have Inception making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of million dollars. That people will go and say, oh, I think Christopher Nolan made this. Oh, this is awesome. That, to me, is, is sure, last man standing in the sense that the last times it was done in full were like George Lucas and Spielberg to, to that, um, or James Cameron. Oh, our boy James Cameron. James Cameron, when are you coming back? It's next year. I know it's next year. James. <laughs> it's coming soon with Avatar 2 through 5, my friend. <laughs> like, Jimmy, we need you. <laughs> but that... I have this amount of respect for him, which is why I rooted for Tenet. I didn't root for Tenet because I wanted, or, or I wasn't in love with Tenet. You've heard my thoughts on Tenet. I did like How, it more than you. However, I rooted for Tenet because it represented someone being able to say, wouldn't it be cool if we could reverse entropy? Let's get a studio to back it up. Oh, Warner Brothers, one of the biggest studios in the world in history is going to back it up. Awesome. Let's put it out there. And that's what young aspiring filmmakers need to see. And, and, and in terms of like a blueprint, Memento, would if I were to teach a screenwriting class, and I hope I do get to do so in the future at one point, Memento may not be the one that I choose to analyze. But I think that Memento is one that gives inspiration. Especially when you're thinking about young directors and screenwriters, people who are starting out and may not be given a $200 million budget to start. And I don't even mean to stray too far from your point, your take on Christopher Nolan. And he is just literally based on the numbers, based on how I've ranked his films. I've seen all of his films. He's one of my favorite working directors. And I do also understand why some people don't love him. And mostly because he's a, a very plot heavy filmmaker, like you said. His movies aren't usually deeply invested in the development of their characters. And, and obviously Memento itself the side characters are there to deepen the mystery, but not necessarily grow uh, in, in our affections. And Leonard himself, of course, can't develop as a character. He is impossible from <laughs> from developing, uh, and except for some some rare moments like the ones where he, of course, intentionally deludes himself. And so your mileage with Nolan most certainly can vary, but I, I like what you say in, in that. As a, as a plot-heavy filmmaker, when his films work, they do work very well. And I think we're on the same page about Memento working very well. And, and him, whether he's a pioneer or one of the last <laughs> in the vanguard for original filmmaking, he is certainly uh, somebody worth analyzing, worth talking about, and his movies are thus far worth seeing. 
I'm, I know we have to wrap our episode soon here. So in terms of a few more memento-specific thoughts, we brought up the, the three main actors, Guy Pierce, Carrie Ann Moss, Joe Pantoliano. Any, any of those performances in particular stand out to you that, that you want to speak on? Kind of Carrie Ann Moss because it's... And, and not kind of. I think that sh- she's almost playing three different characters. As we see memory go in reverse, we see her as a manipulative individual. We see her as someone kind of suffering from trauma. We see her as a caring friend. She's doing so much and she's killing it. She is absolutely killing it. It is so nice to see like as the memory and structure of this film is broken. My view of Carrie Ann Moss is also, I don't know which one of these you're, you actually are. And that is powerful. Yeah. What, what happened to Carrie Ann Moss? Where did her career go? Because with these, with this movie and the matrix movies, and I'm sure some other movies that she's done, I just haven't seen. She was really having a moment here in the early two thousands. And of course her career has not disappeared. She is still acting, still working. She was in a movie. She was in, in Jessica Jones. She was in Jessica Jones and and other uh, the other Marvel TV shows, among other things. And she'll be in the new Matrix movie. But man, she is so good. And like you said, she has to be so many different versions of this character, both the the real Natalie, the Natalie that Leonard is essentially abused by, the Natalie that he falls for even in just a platonic way to to take care of and and be helped by she is not in too much of this movie and like you said she was only on set for eight for eight days and and yet it is a fascinating performance and she brings both a a vulnerability that of course we learn is is false and this insidiousness going back to the noir dialogue the femme fatale who is so important to so many noir movies, that character archetype, she is bringing back in terms of a, a neo femme fatale situation. And she does it so well. Guy Pierce. I know we mentioned it already, but he also is, is so good as Leonard capturing the, the confidence of a person who has total belief in their abilities and in their system of living while also playing dumb when he has to play dumb and capturing that that amnesiac idiosyncrasy of, of having to pretend like you remember someone, pretend that you know what they're talking about, capturing that feeling of theirs. And uh, he, again, is also really strong here. He's someone who has had another, has had a long career. He's tailed off in the, in the most recent years. I think he's doing more supporting parts these days. But uh, again, really strong. Uh, performance near the the beginning of his hollywood career at least any any further thoughts on on guy pierce uh not on guy pierce not on joe pantoliano but this it's also related to something that you we that you said earlier and that has been a trip with nolan nolan isn't always writing the best female characters this uh could this be this might be his best i think that there's one or two others that i would put into this list but carrie Ann mouse is i want to reiterate she's powerful powerful is an interesting word and and i don't know if it's one that i would use but um i guess we we obviously we just have different understandings of what it means to be powerful so i like your take so christian we've talked memento 
we've talked a lot of Christopher Nolan in, in, in relation as well. In terms of your total thoughts on Nolan, where does Memento rank for you? You mentioned that you had seen all two. of his movies recently. Number two. What, what's Number what's two. Your, your top top five, if you will? I can... I will pull up the list just for you, Scott. <laughs> Aw. So kind. So kind of you to do that just for me. Oh, just for you. Okay, so in terms of Christopher Nolan, my top five are The Prestige as one, Memento as two, Batman Begins as three, The Dark Knight is four, and Interstellar is five. That's probably the highest I've ever heard Batman Begins, and I I would love to <laughs> talk more off off air here. <laughs> it it needs a rewatch. It needs a, it's been a while, but I remember loving Bale so honestly. It, some of these are just variations of how much I love Bale. I loved Bale the least in Dark Knight Rises. Oh loved goodness. him the most in The Prestige. All right, my uh, my top five for comparison's sake, which it's I feel like this is true for every Christopher Nolan fan, but it's very different from yours. But number one, The Dark Knight. Number two, Inception. Number three, The Prestige. Number four, Dunkirk. And number five, bit of a hot take, Dark Knight Rises. Again, interesting. Need to okay. rewatch it. I am part of the Dark Knight Rises brigade. I like it more than Batman Begins. Uh, and Memento is a movie that I love. And if it weren't from a director that I also love, it wouldn't be lower on the list. It's it's near the midpoint. And yet it's still such a good movie. So the last thing I want to ask you here, this is Unreliable Narrators Month. We're talking about twisty movies. In terms of the plot twist, Christian, how, do, how does it compare for you? In terms of, we talked about Usual Suspects, maybe one of the most famous plot twists of all time. Now we have Memento and it's plot twists which honestly come kind of fast and furious as we get further into this movie but the major one being that the chronology and eventually comes to the middle and we learn that leonard is intentionally deluding himself to give him a purpose he kills teddy aka john gamble the officer who helped him track down the killer of his wife and because he can't form new memories he then is forced into this this task of self-delusion ad infinitum so where does that twist rank or compare for you as opposed to the usual suspects i think it's better i i I think i can still lean in and can still be in shock and can still be in awe at how in one simple narrative word and in one simple line that he writes on the back of the photograph he took of teddy the entire movie clicks into place don't believe his lies it's, it is haunting to see that happen and know what comes next. And I think part of the fascination with this plot twist, with usual spe- suspects, obviously, once you know it, then you rewatch the whole movie differently. But with Memento, once you know the twist, you don't necessarily watch it differently because it's so expertly constructed. You just want to see how Nolan strings everything together once again. And it's just as enjoyable, just as entertaining. So Christian, any final thoughts on Memento before we wrap up our discussion for the day? No, just go watch it. Just go watch it, folks. And in case for some reason you still haven't and you listen to us spoil the whole thing all over the place, it is streaming on Canopy and Hoopla, which you can get through your local library and is rentable a variety of places. So if you have reached this point in the episode, as always, thanks so much for being here. We do sincerely appreciate your listening and your support. Uh, there are a few other things you can do to support the show aside from listening. 
You can drop us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot and help us reach new listeners there, as well as subscribing with whatever podcatcher you prefer to use. In terms of keeping up with Christian and myself, you can shoot us an email, cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com, where we'd love to share the feedback that we receive from listeners. And I forgot to mention this, but our good friend, Paul Gonzalez, who offered up Magic Month as a possible blend of the month for us to use, also dropped us a line earlier this year. We forgot to mention it. So, Paul, sorry about that. And Christian, he said he wants to meet you in person one day. Paul's a friend of mine who's listening. Thank you. And he'd like to meet you someday. So maybe we can arrange that. Uh, Paul, if you're out there, you'll have to make a pilgrimage to Los Angeles once this this pandemic ends and you can meet Christian and myself. Well, I guess you wouldn't be meeting me, but who knows? Lastly, a couple things that you can do to support us on social media. Number one, follow Christian and myself on Letterboxd, where we are rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. We'd love to know if you watch some similar things as us. If you have any thoughts, we'd love to read your reviews as well. So engage with us there. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we are tweeting about new episodes and hoping to engage with y'all that way. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? What movie are we watching next week? (laughs) That's a good thing to tell them. I forgot to say it. So next week will be our third and final week as we wrap up Unreliable Narrator's month here on the cinema drip podcast we will also offer our awards for the month looking at some of our favorite performances and our best picture so you'll have to stay tuned but next week we're finally seeing a movie that christian has seen but i have not so some nice symmetry the first week it was a movie i had seen and christian hadn't this week a movie both of us had seen and last a movie that christian has seen but i have not and that movie is streaming on hulu and it is david fincher's gone girl I've not seen Gone Girl. It's been on my list for some time, so I'm very excited to watch it. Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike starring in that one. Uh, Christian, I know you're excited to rewatch, so we'll look forward to that discussion for next week. Don't watch this one with Maddie. <laughs> uh, duly noted. <laughs> so, again, thank you so much for listening to the show. We appreciate your support. Uh, Gone Girl next week. Again, it's on Hulu. I am Scott, and he's Christian, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.